0: If you have to come up with a plan B to retool as a leader in today's economy, these are the exact steps you can take to thrive. Welcome to the Visionary Leaders Circle podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeannie Barrow. We're talking, folks, about the launch of Healing Leadership, and Sandy was one of my launch members, and she helped me to get the word out there when we launched in April of 2021. I'm so grateful to you, Sandy. And it just so happened that we were both writing
1: and launching our books around the same time. So welcome, Sandy. I'm just thrilled to be part of your show and to have been part of your launch team. It was a real honor and congratulations on Thank healing. You. <laughs> Thank you so much. So let's get started. Why don't we start
0: by you sharing with, with our audience who are listening or watching who you are, what you did before and what you're doing now, Sandy.
1: Thank you, Jenny, who I am. My name is Sandy Stoes. I retired in 2018 as a Vice Admiral in the United States Coast Guard after 40 years of service with the Coast Guard. (laughs) So you started working when you were 10, right? (laughs) Yeah, really young. So I came into the Coast Guard Academy in 1978. And the Coast Guard Academy is one of the four armed forces service academies. And it's in New London, Connecticut. And I was in the third class with women. And the reason being is that in 1978, in that mid 1970s, so much happened to advance women. The first thing that that affected me, I'm sure there's much more, but was Title IX in 1972. So when I went into high school, I could do sports. And for a young girl who was shy and maybe not so confident, um, being able to boost my confidence and um, learn how to believe that I could do things was uh, through sports. So I had sports in high school, thanks to Title IX. In 1973, we had the Equal Rights Amendment come and give even more opportunities for women. And following on that, in 1975, the National Defense Authorization Act required that all the service academies open their doors to women, and they had only been men up until then. (laughs) So uh, a neighbor, I lived in Ellicott City, Maryland, outside of Baltimore and and near Annapolis, and a neighbor walked over in 1976, a copy of the Baltimore Sun, who had done a feature article on the Naval Academy, um, admitting women. And meanwhile, they had covered all kinds of things about what the Naval Academy does for a four year education. Free education, you get a chance to go and spend your career serving your country at sea. <laughs> I thought, wow, this sounds like me. That sounds so exciting, huh? I applied to the Naval Academy and my guidance counselor said, Sandy, you need to uh, cast a wider net. And and I'm like, no, I want to go to the Naval Academy. It's a new opportunity for women. But he said, well, I got this brochure from a Coast Guard Academy at, up in New London, Connecticut. And we poured over that flyer <laughs> that had come in the mail. And between the two of us, we, uh, we concluded that the Coast Guard was a small Navy, so that I may as well apply there, too. And of and course, the Coast Guard is not a small Navy. <laughs> We're a much different service than the Navy, <laughs> but it worked out really well. So Amazing. I applied there, and I uh, got accepted immediately, whereas the Naval Academy required a congressional nomination process uh, under a different title of the law, And that was um, a long drawn out process. So when the Coast Guard Academy accepted me based on a direct admission, I jumped at it. And in 1978, I entered the Academy as in the third class of women and spent the next 40 years in the Coast Guard, retired in 2018. And I had known when I was a young junior officer in my mid-20s that I wanted to write a book on leadership to give back for Mm. all the Coast Guard had done for me. So I started... (laughs) At that young age, in your 20s, you already knew. I already knew because by then I'd already had um, sailed for three years on um, polar icebreakers from the Arctic to the Antarctic Mm. and experienced different cultures, stopping in South Pacific Islands, stopping in um, South America, visiting uh, different countries, visiting um, the Arctic and the Antarctic and doing missions down there. And then I ended up um, working shortly after that as a service secretary, who was the secretary of transportation, the Coast Guard service secretary, Mm -hmm. his military aide. And a young woman I worked with there who was um, the secretary's advance member, one one of his advance team members, her name was Shane. And I was telling her one day, wow, Shane, we are in this great job. We get to go around with the cabinet level secretary, seeing the government from the top down. And I get to see the Coast Guard's one piece of a puzzle of government agencies. Yes. And we're so, we're so fortunate. And I said, I'm going to write a book about my experiences <laughs> one day. Well, who knew, of- Sandy, right? That in uh, 2021, you would be releasing
0: your new book, uh, Yes. Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass. So let's, let's break that down. Thank you so much for giving us that beautiful background. And as I was listening to you, I realized how much we take for granted. As much progress as we still need to make, listening to your story that you were the third class, that Title IX finally allowed you to do sports. I mean, that is just like, wow, mind-blowing. Because, you know, I was born in 69. So by the time I was a teenager in 1983, of course, I could do whatever I wanted to do. And there's so much that we, that we take for granted today in our society about the things that all of us get to do now, especially women, right, who were treated so differently and people of color and people of all different types of backgrounds. And so it's so beautiful that you brought that in because it, it's almost like a wake-up call for me listening to you. And I hope that this resonates with our audience. We need to stay stock of what is working and wh- what we have while we look at the future and create a more compelling future. Let's not forget. Let's dive into your book and let's dive into Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass, Leading in Uncharted Waters. And you began to tell us that you had already been in your mid-20s, been on a polar icebreaker, which is amazing. So tell us
1: about the title, Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass and leading in uncharted waters. Well, when I was speaking with my colleague, Shane, both of us young women in our, our mid twenties back in uh, Secretary Skinner's front office, the secretary of transportation where the Coast Guard was residing in those days. Now we're in department of Homeland Security just so everyone knows yeah. following on 9-11. Well, so Shane said to me, Sandy, you've got to call that book Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass. Cause I'd been on the icebreakers and done the mission for a few years um, breaking glass in, in uncharted waters all around uh, the world from the Arctic to the Antarctic. And then I'd been the first woman because I was early in the Coast Guard Academy classes that were accepting women. I was one of the first women everywhere I went, a first woman on this ship, the only woman on this ship. And, and And what was that like,
0: Sandy? Because I know for many people who are listening, who can grasp, what does that mean to be the first woman blank, right? Like what we're hoping and what we're looking forward to is that we never have to say I, I was the first woman. I, we want to say I was one of many women in the yeah. room. And I know for me, like you, when I started my career in, in uh, computer science, technology, financial services, I was the only woman in technology, in leadership for a while. Tell us what it what was it like for you? How do you have to be uh, How did you feel being in that room, being the only woman?
1: Well, it wasn't really a room, it was on a ship. So because I was an operational Coast Guard officer and spent 12 years at sea, it was really different than being in an office. So I wanted a ship that had 150 men and I was the first woman. That was the Polar Star, one of those icebreakers. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenging things was that all the guys knew me. (laughs) because I was the only woman. So they would know my name and and I was meanwhile trying to learn 150 men. (laughs) And you always felt a little awkward because you couldn't quite remember their name and they knew exactly who you were. That was a great experience though. I found that you can be accepted even as the only person of of color, a person who's a woman, um, if you look at it from a positive angle instead mm-hmm. of looking at it as a negative thing. Right, so right. I, I always thought of being a woman as a superpower because um, when you're the only one, you can carve out terms because people don't know what to expect. And I'll give you an example. When I went um, from that ship to my next ship, I was the first and only woman for, for a while. And um, I was in a more senior leadership position. So I was the operations officer, like the third in command on a ship of 50 people. And when I first reported aboard... The guys didn't really know what to do to take orders from a woman. And it wasn't that they were resistant. They just didn't know how to act around a woman in the workplace on a ship. And it had been in the old days up until that point that I reported aboard. It was all men. So whenever one of the wives came to visit the ship, the person on the quarterdeck watch that was checking everybody in as they came aboard the ship for security reasons would see one of the wives coming and he would take the uh, microphone and say and make an um, announcement throughout the ship now lady guest arriving so that everyone below decks would know there was a, a lady coming aboard and they would put their towel around themselves and get them behave <laughs> yeah behave they used to go from the shower to the sleeping areas without maybe um, with just a towel around themselves they'd you know get ready for a woman guest and so when i first reported aboard i could see the the watch picking up that microphone to make an announcement and he was wondering do I make it this is she's she's a crew member yes. and, and he said now lady guest arriving and so I went over to him and I said you know I'm not a lady guest I'm part of the crew you can you don't need to do that and I was I so I approached it with humor yeah so the guys said a lot of things that they weren't sure what to do and I would approach it with humor instead of choosing to take offense so I would choose yes to see how I, as a leader, could help break the ice of a new person, a new um, circumstance. How do, you, how do you relate to a work environment where now you have a woman? And so it sounds like you use humor. You
0: said that was one of the yes. tools that you use to kind of make yourself feel more comfortable too, and also yeah. to put them at ease. What other tactics do you use, Sandy, to, to do that, to break the ice
1: with the men in the room or the men in the, on the ship? One thing that I used to break the ice, um, and I'll go back to the same ship again. So I was new, but I was pretty senior, third in command on 50 people. But I asked a lot of questions. Mm. And this was um, many years ago, back in the 1980s. And it was before people were comfortable in leadership positions asking questions, because they had to make themselves more vulnerable to do that. Because the idea was you came on board and you knew everything. And of course you don't. And so I would ask questions of everybody. Hey, how do you do this? Show me how this. Um, ha- show me how this boat does navigation, or how do you do damage control when you're fighting a fire? And so I would get people to lead me around the ship, showing me mm-hmm. different things, and, and showing that- you their strengths too, right? Like yeah. the things that they knew. Yes. So everybody likes to be asked questions and show somebody new how to succeed. Absolutely. So I empowered them by asking questions, by taking the, the risk, however slight it might have been, of being vulnerable and exposing that I didn't know. And that broke the ice, too. So Absolutely. I think using humor and and uh, not being, being afraid to be a little bit vulnerable, put yourself out there and ask questions. And you might even know the answer. You still might ask a question. Absolutely. And people.
0: Yes. And I. it's funny that you mentioned that about asking this, the questions, because typically we think as leaders, we have to have all the answers. And in the book, Healing Leadership, I talk about how as leaders, we have to have all the questions. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I think another way that you can, there's um, sort of three things, I always like to do things in three. So the first way that you succeed as a woman, or I would say even a person of color in a situation where you might not be in the majority, where you're in the vast minority, use the humor. Ask questions to allow people to demonstrate their knowledge and, um, and to get to know them better while you're walking around with them. And the third thing is, is find what they need and satisfy those needs. So I was standing watch one night on this ship to get back to that same ship as the case study. Mm -hmm. And one of the watchstanders, it was dark. It was like a midnight watch or something. One of the watchstanders said, you know, ma'am, he says, we like having you on board. And I was the only woman at the time. And I said, so why is that, Mike? I think it was Mike that was the guy's name because I always remember that. And he says, well, ma'am, he says. You know, most of us don't like it when people on the mess deck are cussing or being inappropriate, but you know, we kind of can't say anything because we'll be looked at as w- wimps or something. So, but now that you're here, we can use you as an excuse. And we can say you can't cuss or you can't flatulate or whatever because Miss Stowe's is here and that's you know, we have to up our game. That's and I'm like, You're awesome. kidding me. I, said, I didn't know you guys were using me as an excuse to clean up the act on the ship. That's right. So then when I would walk down towards the mess deck and I would hear somebody cussing or something, I'd get there and I'd say, Hey, you can't cuss. I said, would <laughs> you do that in front of your mom or your sister or your grandmother? <laughs> oh no, ma'am. Well, then I said, you can't do it here. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, Once again, I'd use the humor, but yes. um, I found that it was a superpower to be a woman, the only woman. And I would use those tools, the three tools I just mentioned. Create an atmosphere that broke the ice and empowered people. Absolutely, and you know, Sandy, it's
0: interesting that you bring that up because I would actually, to play devil's advocate, say that that might be one of the one of the complaints. I'm going to use the word complaint that some people may bring up that you know, when when there aren't women in the room, we can just be who we are. We can tell all kinds of off color jokes. And there is nobody getting offended. But the minute that you throw a woman in the room, she's like, you know, she gets offended at everything that's said and we can, we can no longer have a little boys club. And so I guess what I want to bring up in that regard is that subconsciously we don't realize what how we're coming across and how offensive what we may be saying actually is because we've gotten accustomed to doing it amongst the people that we're hanging out with. But in reality, if you were to open the doors and I were to say to you, can you repeat everything that you're saying in there, no matter who's in the room, the answer will be no, I can't. And there's a difference between feeling comfortable because I always felt comfortable with the people that I was working with. We could always joke, we can always jest and and be lighthearted as it relates to our work and our projects. But there's a a fine line between being lighthearted and being offensive to people who may not be in that room. And that's where we're asking people to kind of open up the blinders so that they can create a more inclusive workplace, whether it's on a boat, right? On a ship or whether it's in an office so that people feel that they can be themselves and at the same time feel safe that they're not being in any way put down
1: or to be made feel like they're less than people need to be mindful of br- this new trend to bring your authentic self to work. Because quite frankly, your authentic self might be that person sitting um, in, in the uh, cafeteria who, right. is, who, who is cussing and flatulating, yeah. <laughs> back to my example. Right. And that's your authentic self. So how can you argue with that? And that's the new trend now is, um, is trying to project that authentic self. And really, in my mind, a little bit of that is this new freedom that we're getting from sitting in our living rooms on a Zoom And we want to be able to be exactly who we are and get rid of all the boundaries that give us civility and make us a civil society. And we got to be careful not to break down the boundaries that are there to preserve a civil society that respects everybody in our rush to become our authentic selves. And it's all about me, me, me. And I agree, right? Because being
0: your authentic self, I always say, and I said in my book, Healing Leadership, is that we all ultimately are professionals. We have to behave like professionals and treat people with respect, no matter where we are. So yeah, bringing your authentic self to work does not mean that you're going to say everything that comes out of your mouth. Like, It's not about having no delay between your thought and your mouth, right? (laughs) It is about being able to contribute in a way that is constructive to the people around you while also expressing your truth around a topic, around a solution, or around a problem, and being able to communicate that in a way that values people, respects people, and also gets your point across. So thank you for bringing that in. It's, it's... So let's go back into the book. We have about 10 minutes left. I know time flies. <laughs> and I wanted to cover more about the content of the book. So tell us what is your main message in the book, Sandy? And there's people who are listening who are leaders. There's people. I always tell people that We're all leaders because we're either leaders in business or in our professions, our careers. Most definitely, we're leaders in our own life. People who are going to get the book, Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass, what is that message that you want them to take away?
1: To narrow down 300 pages to one message, but I can do it. So Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass, subtitle, Leading in Uncharted Waters. Yes. And that uh, there's a lot of double entendres in both the, the title and the subtitle that, that characterize what I went through as one of the first women and, and uh, breaking ice, both in the workplace and actually literally, and then leading in uncharted waters, which would be leading in the uh, navigating a ship in the Antarctic and the Arctic, but then also the uncharted waters of crisis or uncertainty. Mm. So what I think is the main message of the book is that Over a 40-year career, I grasped leadership lessons learned, Mm -hmm. proven principles, and realized that anybody who has a passion and a purpose and works hard and perseveres towards those goals they've set for themselves can succeed in what they do. And there's going to be uncharted waters, there's going to be obstacles, icebergs in the way that you've got to navigate around, Mm -hmm. not just me because I was a a seagoing officer, somebody in an office, somebody working for a private company or public nonprofit is going to have uncharted waters to navigate and you can succeed. If you apply proven principles, leadership lessons, like the ones that I deliver in my book, and fundamentally, I talk about hard work plus perseverance equals success. Mm -hmm. I talk about um, the value, the power of your personal core values, your organization core values that set your moral compass on the North Star so that you don't- The The fact that people can succeed at what they want to do if they have a roadmap, and I deliver those kind of tools in the book. Beautiful. And I know as I was
0: listening to you that in many cases, people say, what stops people from using some of those tools? What are some of the hurdles and the challenges that they face? And I know for many of my clients in coaching, it's fear, right? Fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, right? Fear of not being smart enough. From your, from your experience, Sandy, especially in your field where you spend so many years What did you find to be some of those limitations that people, the hurdles that people had to jump over?
1: Impatience and a lack of motivation. And Mm. the impatience comes when people don't want to persevere. They don't Mm. mind working hard, but they want to achieve a place of success very early on. And I started out in 1978, the beginning of my forty-year career, cleaning toilets and scrubbing dishes on the Coast Guard tall ship Eagle, a three-hundred-foot sailing ship that cadets go on in great numbers. And you do your time in the scullery, which is the dishes. You clean toilets, you slip across decks, you scrub the outside decks, you paint and chip, and you're doing. You the at the bottom, basically. Yes, you're you're doing the lowest duties in. Oh my gosh, the fact that I started out there at the bottom kept me humble, kept me aware that I could do it, that I didn't have to achieve an instant success because I realized it was one step at a time, one task at a time, one um, job that at I learned a at a time. And I developed the patience to see the value. I saw the value in what I was doing and how it was building me as a leader of character, so therefore, I could I could use the patience to keep going and to persevere. But I had to learn that, Absolutely. and um, I I learned it through a, a structured organization like the Coast Guard. So I think that leaders need to realize that young people coming into their organizations they want quicker success. Yeah, but they have to be led to understand that they've got to start at a different place, a lower place, and be patient and do the best they can at whatever job they're given, not yeah. just their primary duties, but a side duty somebody might ask them to do. Yeah. If they fail at the, the smaller side collateral task because they don't think it's worth their time, they're not they gonna chance. Yeah. So I think the impatience and the supervisors need to realize people are coming in less patient today and they need to motivate those people. And the way you motivate them is you give them, you make them start at the bottom, but you give them training, you give them, Opportunities to get education, you give them mentoring, you give them programs that will advance them, you give them reading lists that will help them to continue their education so that they stay motivated to stay with the company that, that you're running. And so instant gratification is one of society's
0: Achilles heel these days. We want to things like that, right? We want to like, we want to see that people are commenting on our post and things of that nature. And I, I believe what you're speaking specifically about Sandy is one of the biggest complaints also when it comes to the new workforce, right? That you have young students coming out of school wanting to be managers one year out of college and you go manager of what? You don't know even what you're doing yet. And also just being having that attitude that you're bringing up of I'm here to do my job and anything else that I need to do that's legal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's how we also uh, you know, were raised in terms of work. We put on multiple hats based on what was needed for the team and to get the job done. So so important. But the patience, this is a really nuanced, to your point, uh, uh, ability to be patient. And how do we develop that patience when we have all these big dreams and ambitions and we, we don't want to wait. We don't want to pay our dues, as, as we used to say, we have to pay our dues. And um, so I am so glad that you're bringing that theme into the conversation. And for new leaders and for established leaders, how do we develop those tools to help our people be more patient and to help them through motivating them and, and then to see the value of them becoming even better at what they do and giving us confidence that they are the right candidates to be in those roles because they're open-minded and they're willing to
1: roll up their sleeves and do whatever work needs to be done. I've got role. another analogy that kind of helps, that might help leaders to motivate their younger people. One of my favorite books is <laughs> um, Don Quixote by Cervantes. And in it, there comes a famous phrase that we use to this day, Life's not about the destination; it's about the journey. And in um, in the book Don Quixote, it's the road, not the inn. So you're you're struggling along a road, traveling for days, weeks, months on end, and you get to your the inn at the end or the destination. So I I took forty years to go from the beginning to the destination, which was um, making the senior executive level in the Coast Guard, but the glory of it all was those 40 yeah. years at different levels starting at the bottom and then taking the next step the satisfaction of getting that next promotion the satisfaction yeah. of getting the next promotion working your way up knowing yeah. you had the skills knowledge and abilities to succeed in that position That's You weren't it's right. to too fast to where you were uncomfortable or you had to be afraid and um, I think that that analogy of it's all about the journey so what would you do if you were a high school graduate or a college graduate And you were a manager, senior manager, that five years after you graduate, what's left is there for the next 35 years? (laughs) You're going to be more of a a senior manager. (laughs) You're going to be disappointed and you're going to be bored and uh, probably fail because you're not ready for that job, right? Yes, absolutely. And
0: there's so much to be learned as you begin to manage people and to help uplift people. And I believe every successful leader that I've spoken with says something similar, which is, as a leader is not only about you and you advancing your career, but how can you open doors and help uplift others that are, that you're serving. And that's how you become stronger as an organization and as a team. That's how your businesses and companies succeed and quote unquote, win in the marketplace. And so thank you so much, Sandy, for sharing those golden nuggets with us today. I want to make sure that people know where to find your book. By the time this interview comes out, your book is probably going to be out. So where can they go and find your book and how can they connect
1: with you? guys in Breaking Glass, Leading in Uncharted Waters is available now for pre-order. Yeah. Anywhere that you order your books. Wonderful. And it'll be launching on June 1st. Yeah. So uh, please go and uh, check it out. And uh, you can find me and the book uh, at www.sandrastoes.com. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your upcoming
0: book. I am sure that it's going to be wildly successful. And congratulations on a very successful career in the Coast Guard and
1: for sharing your, your insights with us today. Thank you, Jenny, for having me on and giving me the opportunity to share these insights. I did this all to give back, Leadership Lessons Learned. So your podcast is a great way to do that. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: If you want to learn the number one success secret to helping your leaders retool in only six months, go to FLMProgram.com to learn about our fearless leadership mastermind. Don't miss out. Your leaders will gain the capabilities they need to solve the challenges you're facing and achieve the business results you want. With everything else you have going on, we want to take this off your plate by providing a turnkey, scalable solution that will give you a high return on investment. The next leadership training starts soon. Visit FLMProgram.com to get the details. If you enjoyed our content, subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. And if you want to stay in touch and hear from us, join our community to receive valuable strategies and expert advice at executivebound.com. Join our movement to heal leadership around the world. See you soon.